skin because I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, if, if, that, if this cloud that I'm looking at is really multiple planet, I mean, multiple stars, and who knows how many planets are around there, and I would just sort of, I'd be like, I just didn't even know what to do with that. But over time, of course, and remote viewing more and more wilder and wilder, it, you know, things, um, it's just really expanded my whole God box just kind of blew open. And now, of course, I feel like there's so much more. In fact, I believe personally that the earth is sentient, you know, is a sentient being. Oh, yeah, and, for sure. And, you know, I mean, if you'd, if you'd come up to me and said the earth is a sentient being 20 years ago, I would have probably just said, oh, poor thing. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, the rocks, the sun, the moon, it's all alive, you know. It's all alive, everything. It's all alive, everything. it's all conscious. Um, just going back to your, you saw what you, a being, what was the upshot? Can you tell us, like, what happened to that plane? You got to accentuate the positive. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. So great to see you again. <laughs> not that I can see you, but yeah, maybe I can. So today, we're going to have a fascinating show. I'm introducing you to Laurie Williams, who is a teacher of controlled remote viewing. She has a business called Intuitive Specialists, and her and her husband, Jim Williams, run this business. And Laurie also lives in a remote part of America in an earthship, which we'll talk about as well. But let me welcome Laurie. Welcome to the show. Sorry. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you very much. So Laurie's speaking about this at a conference coming up in May in Denver, Colorado called the, what's it called again? The Supernatural, Paranormal Supernatural Conference, which we'll um, get into a bit later as well. But for people that don't know what controlled remote viewing is, we'll explain what it is. And I really think that everyone does it to an extent. But I just want to ask you quickly how you got into this, you know, how, how this became your profession. Hazel. Well, you know, Karen, you said you think everybody does this to some extent. And that's true in the sense that everybody has intuitive ability. Mm-hmm. And we all find ourselves suddenly, you know, knowing something that we don't know how we knew it. Or we have a precognitive dream or we think of someone and they call them, those th- that type of thing. Or even a premonition. Um, and so, I, of course, like everyone else, I had those things happening to me as well. And when they just happen spontaneously, that's just, you know, inborn intuition, that natural intuition we all have. Um, but the one thing a lot of us wonder is, what if I could control that? And yeah. that's not what everybody does. Exactly. You can't say, oh, everybody controls it, because well, most people don't. Um, and so yeah. controlled remote viewing is, is different from just spontaneous intuition in that the goal of it is to help you control it. And so the way I got into it was that I was actually, when I was about 12, I was really excited about the occult. You know, I wanted, uh-huh. to, I wanted to get into ghosts. And we, my girlfriends and I had slumber parties almost every weekend and we would have seances. 
My sister loves, my sister used to love to tell my kids when they were little, she'd say, you know, while normal children were worrying about who they were going to the basketball game with, your mother was having seances. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And then she said, and she had a unibrow. I'm like, I didn't have a unibrow. A unibrow instead of what, a mono. Yeah, where where it goes all the way across. (laughs) She threw that in just for extra good measure. Anyway, so, so, um, you know, I was, we were having all these seances and we started having like really amazing, like poltergeist stuff started happening. And so, so much uh, physical stuff started happening in my house because I was always the medium. I didn't even know what a medium really was, but whenever we would have seances, you know, I would be the medium. And, and so I guess something followed me home one night and before I knew it, I mean, there was a ton of poltergeist activity in the house and my mother was screaming like, what did you bring into this house? You know, she was very scared. My friends wouldn't spend the night with me anymore. And, uh, you know, it became a, <laughs> it became a problem for about a year. But then um, when I was Just after I turned 14, my parents moved. Uh, My dad took a new job in another city and we moved. And I met these hippie Jesus people. And so I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I mean, truly, it was a it was a very transformative experience and one that I'm very grateful for. Okay, so mm-hmm. when you say hippie Jesus people, were were they religious people or were they like New Agey people? Like, or they well, just they, know, they they were kind of both. They were kind of both. They were actually uh, they were actually members of a what was then kind of a budding group, um, and it spawned from a group called the Jesus People. Yeah. And in the late sixties, early seventies, for me, it was 71. I turned uh, 14 in June of, of 1971. But for um, these, there were a bunch of groups across the country of, you know, lost hippies that were suddenly finding Jesus and becoming very almost charismatic, but they didn't like churches. So they didn't ever get into churches and they formed groups that later became called cults. You know, you know, it's a cult. But um, to me, I mean, what's a cult? I mean, there's the Catholic Church could be considered a cult. You know, the you know, I mean, you know, I guess once you get big enough, then you don't get to be called a cult anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Once you have a gazillion members and lots of money, then they don't call you a cult. But um, but anyway, so this was a group of of young people who were mostly in their late teens, early twenties, and uh, you know, who didn't like the churches and wanted to be radical and consider Jesus a radical revolutionary of love. You know, that kind of thing. And so I was, ju- I was literally 14 and two weeks old when I met these people. And so very, very influential. But I had been sitting in the grass. I didn't know anybody. We'd just moved to this town and my sister dropped me off at a park and there was a band playing and I was sitting by myself in the grass thinking, okay, God, if you're real, I want to know what to believe right now. And if you show me, then I'll believe in you. And if you don't, then I'm not going to believe in you anymore. Because, you know, when you're 14, you're pretty black and white about things. And, and of course, I was also well, very arrogant, giving God yeah. the ultimatum. <laughs> When you were 14, you were black and white about things, I'm going to say. <laughs> Not everybody, but when you I were was, 14, yeah. I was pretty arrogant, I think, to, to, to give an ultimatum to God. But I love it. I love it. These, these two hippies walked by, and they stopped, and they turned around, and they started talking to me about Jesus. And they answered every question I had, really. They were wow. really, you know, they, they would flip to a Bible verse. And I found out later that they actually had drills 
where they would, somebody would call out a scripture and they would have the Bible upside down to them so they could be showing it to you, right? right. And they would, they would, they would see, time everybody, see how fast it would take, how quickly they could turn to this Bible verse, you know, that somebody would call out and they would do these drills. So every question I asked, they would just go, flip, well, look at this verse, you know, and they really knew the Bible amazingly. So I had this transformative experience that day. And, um, and from that moment on, I was really, I just wanted to serve Jesus my, with my life. And so I really got into this group and my parents were, you know, would actually kind of take me there and they'd, they'd hang around to make sure I was okay and things like that. But um, eventually I did get into missionary work and I traveled all over Latin America. I lived in Ecuador for six years and in Chile for four years. I was in the Dominican Republic for a couple of years before that and um, learned to speak Spanish fluently. Had a lot of really life-enriching experiences. I married a Hawaiian man and we went to Hawaii for a few years and, and he was with me when we went back to South America. We ended up having seven kids together. And, um, and so... <laughs> Oh yes, seven. I gave birth to seven children. We finally figured out what was causing that. Um, but <laughs> anyway, my so. father had seven children, and he said the same thing to me. I said, yeah. "I'll cause it. I put a stop to it." <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, we did not believe in birth control. Um, so we had seven children, and I, of course, asked me which one I could give up. Now, you know, of course, I wouldn't give a single one up. They're wonderful kids. And uh, Jim, my, my current husband, who I, um, who I've been with now for fifteen years. Um, Jim has two daughters. And so between us, we have nine and we have 20 grandchildren. Wow. Huge family. Um, very, we're very blessed that way. So, so after I, you know, I thought though, that when I became really fervent for God, that all this weirdness would just go away. I, I forsook it for the Lord, so to speak. And, uh -huh. but it didn't forsake me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, okay. So, so with the whole hippie Jesus crowd, any sort of intuitive abilities was frowned upon as not, no, actually not. It was, okay. it, was it just, it, it just depended on the framing because okay. you know, it, like, for example, if you have a premonition that your friend is going to die in a car accident tomorrow, yep. mm -hmm. I had a premonition, you know, you're going to die in an accident tomorrow. No, don't drive in the car. Don't get, don't get out of bed. Well, instead, if, you, if that girl was very, very Christian, you might go to her and say, the Lord gave me a dream uh, that you're, you might be in an accident tomorrow. And she could accept that, but she would not accept it if you said you had a premonition. Okay, depends and how so, you frame it. Yes, it's, it's all semantics, right? Absolutely. And, and, and so, for example, I, uh, you know, in my more recent years, I've had an office that said intuitive consulting on it. And um, I had a woman client who used to come see me all the time uh, because I was also a hypnotist and I was also doing massage therapy. And she would come to my office all the time and she never noticed the sign. And one day she did notice it and she said, what is intuitive consulting? And I knew she was a very, very fervent Christian. And I said, well, do you remember when Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter four? And she said, yes. And I said, and he said, woman, bring me your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, right, you are, you have no husband. You've had seven husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she, and she said, oh my gosh, you know, I perceive thou art a prophet. And she ran to town and said, you got to meet this guy who told me everything about my life, right? I said, well, in essence, Jesus gave that woman a psychic reading. <laughs> You know, and, the, and she was a little bit scared after that. And every few minutes, she would, I would say something, and she'd say, oh, "How did you know that?" And I'd be like, oh, "You told me that, like last time you came to see me." You know, she she became very paranoid that I knew everything about her. <laughs> but but anyway, so 
after, uh, you know, so in this group, actually, they really encouraged people to be intuitive and to hear from God, so to speak. You know, they encouraged that quite a bit. And, and it was, um, you know, so it wasn't really frowned upon. It was all in how you framed it, how you looked at it, you know, and that sort of thing. So, um, and so I, whereas, you know, I, I would have spontaneous knowings all the time and visions and we saw ghosts. I mean, we had all kinds of things happen that during that time. Um, and so when I ended up staying in this group till I was in my mid thirties and, uh, when I was in my mid thirties, we came back to the States and I got a real job. And <laughs> if you want to call it that and, um, get a real job, yeah, yeah. Get a real, job. <laughs> get a real job with a paycheck. Whereas before that, you know, we were, we were running these mission centers and never kind of knew sometimes where the next money was coming from. But, but anyway, it was really, um, it was a great time and I learned a lot. And then I was starting to search when I came back. I was like, you know, I always had these things. I started thinking about all the things that happened during my time in these seances and things that were undeniably, you know, paranormal. And then all the things that had happened during my years of being, serving God, so to speak. And so, yeah. okay, well, how do I reconcile experiences with belief systems? You know, how do you reconcile those things? Absolutely. That was my question. And so I started really going on a search. And, uh, and what was really interesting too is that I remember I was in Denver, coincidentally, back to Denver. I had gone to Denver to attend a conference on refugee mental health because at the time I was running a refugee resettlement program. Wow. And uh, I was, yeah, it was really great. That was, those were a lot of happy years too. I came back to the States and ended up running a refugee resettlement program. So um, while I was in Denver, I was reading a book and it was about children who had had near death experiences and they had done like a 20 year study on these kids and they, they had like control groups that had never had near death experiences. And then they, and they had, I think four different groups. And I think one of them was children who had been very, very ill, but hadn't had a near death experience children who had never had been healthy th their whole lives. And then these kids that had had uh, these near death experiences and then actually physically died and been revived. And when they followed these kids for 20 years, they found that the ones who had had near death experiences had a much higher rate of provable or conf confirmable uh, psychic experiences. And so when I was reading the book, I was like, what's a, what's a provable psychic experience. And then he defines it and he says, um, a provable psychic experience is something, for example, if you have a dream and you tell someone else about it and then the next day it happens, then that's confirmed because you have a witness that you had the dream prior to the experience. Right. And I thought, oh my gosh, if that's, and he says, and the average person, someone who's never had a near-death experience, the average person has one verifiable psychic experience per lifetime. And I thought, if that's normal, that then what am I? Because <laughs> I'm not, I've had a lot more than one, and I remember feeling quite shocked. And then when he starts talking about these near death experiences in children, I also was very shocked because I suddenly remembered my mother telling me that when I was two, I died and they'd been revived. I, they, I had I had some sort of seizure, or my 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 older sisters were trying to murder me and gave me a piece of paper, and I choked on it. Um, so I'm not sure which was which. I heard two versions of the story. But your sisters tried to murder you, and. <laughs> you had a febrile seizure <laughs> but anyway I, I had totally stopped breathing my eyes were fixed and glassy you know they had to revive me and that sort of thing so I don't know I don't have any hospital records showing whether I actually physically died or not but I in reading this book it made me wonder did that experience you know did that create 
the change that causes people to be more psychic. Um, and so regardless, I decided to really look for some answers to reconcile this. And at this conference, the same conference in Denver, there was a man speaking who they introduced as a retired colonel from the US military. And he was talking about uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and refugees. But I had a dream about him that night that I was asking him a question about a colonel I had just met in Amarillo, Texas, where I was living at the time. And uh, the next morning when I got there, he was there and I was there and I said, I had a dream about you last night, you know, and girls, your, mo your mother probably told you this. If you ever want a man to remember, you just tell him you had a dream about him last night. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he, uh, I was dreaming. I'm a total stranger to him. You know, he had no idea who I was. I'm, I had a dream about you last night. So he said, well, what did you dream? And I told him that I had dreamt about this colonel. Then I was asking him if he knew him. And he said, well, what branch of the military is this colonel that you met in? And I said, I don't know. I think he was in military intelligence. And he said, oh, that's funny. I, I was in military intelligence. And right as he said that, the cover of a book flashed in my mind. And I hadn't bought the book, but I had seen it on the new arrival shelf um, right. at the bookstore. And it was Dave Morehouse's Psychic Warrior. And so I said, have you seen that book about psychics in the military? And he, like, he said, are you asking about Dave Morehouse's Psychic Warrior? And I said, yes. And he said, I can't believe you're asking me about that book because I was the psychologist in charge of that military program for 20 years. Wow. And so then he was very, all of a sudden, then he was real interested in talking to me because I suddenly walk up out of the blue, a total stranger, and I ask him about the book about this program that he happened to be in. And, and no one at this conference was supposed to know that. Mm -hmm. So he was very interested. He starts asking me all these questions, you know, do you remember maps easily? Do you have a photographic memory for numbers? Are you artistic? And just shooting questions at me a mile a minute. And I was really nervous and I stepped away from him, <laughs> kind of started backing up, um, <laughs> you know, imagining men in black kidnapping me and things like that. But he, <laughs> he, uh, he, he kind of says to me as I'm walking away, he says, when you get back home, go on the internet and look up controlled remote viewing. And so I did, and I found Lynn Buchanan's website, and Lynn was one of the instructors in the military unit. He was the database manager uh, in that program for many years, and uh, I, he had a website, and it's the, it, the, the opening page said, what is CRV, Controlled right. Remote Viewing, and it had this amazing explanation that was so down to earth and so grounded that I went, oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for. This is what will reconcile these two things for me. Because he basically said, everybody has this ability. And it's just a matter of learning to manage it, learning uh, to develop the skill like a mental martial art. Absolutely. So oh, that was my beginning. There's so much to say here. Um, <laughs> you know, like I really feel... Like for years, I've been thinking, why don't they teach this in schools? And there should be schools where they teach... Because you know, no one teaches you how to use your energy, your mind, you know, how to flow your energy, how to, anyway, it's, um, I have this vision of big universities teaching this, like, I've had this vision <laughs> for years, like, the, I don't know if I'll be alive when that happens, but it's such an important aspect of, of who we are as humans, and, uh, you know, it's been thrown in the woo-woo closet for so many years, and yet, and yet the military have been using it. So Yes, and probably that. still are. And probably still are. Well, most definitely. And, still and are. interestingly, not just our military or, or the Russia's military or China's military, which are the ones we always hear about, 
Yeah. But when I was running the refugee program, um, I was kind of in the closet about the whole remote viewing thing. Yeah. But eventually, of course, things have a way of making their way out of the closet and newspaper articles and radio shows and things like that started happening. And uh, when uh, one of my staff, who was from Suleimania in Iraq, when I explained, she asked me about it, you know, and when I explained it to her, she said, oh, yes, Saddam have this. <laughs> so, you know, she, she knew that Saddam had it at the time. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the refugees would like, oh, yes, we had that in our country, too. I mean, yeah. everybody knew about it. It was kind of a normal thing. Yeah. There's a couple of things I want to say. Like, um, I've heard other people say about psychic ability and near-death experience as if if you don't, if you haven't died at some point as a baby that you don't remember or had a near-death experience that you do remember, you don't specifically have these psychic abilities, but I haven't died and I have them. <laughs> when I hear all the things that happens, like I've spoken to a lot of people on the show uh, <laughs> about the after effects, you know, Robert Tremblay, who um, was one of the people I spoke to last year, we, were just, we spoke about the after effects and, and all this psychic phenomena, like, and nobody knows how to navigate it. You know, like there are people out there saying, you know, speak to your spirit guides and learn your intuition. And there's so many little pockets of people teaching, but nobody knows how to sort of really navigate it. And um, yeah. And so, but what I'm going to say is that you don't have to die in order to have it. No. And I'm really, I haven't had a near death experience. How can I have this? You don't have to have a near death experience. I really appreciate your saying that too, because I had one of my students, um, once I was talking with him and I said, if you could have a book about remote viewing, that says something that you haven't already read in a book about remote viewing, what, what would you like to see or what do you wish was out there? And he said, well, I really wish there was something that was said that would just say, you don't have to have seen angels or ghosts or have demonstrated any kind of psychic experience or any kind of psychic ability prior to taking this class. Because he said, if I, I thought you had to have died or you had to have seen ghosts or you had to have had angels come in your life or aliens or something, he said, but I've never had any kind of a weird experience and I can totally do this. This is awesome. You know, I was so excited to find out I could do it. And he said, I think I would have taken the class years earlier if I had realized that, but I thought you had to have had some sort of prerequisite. You have to already be psychic and demonstrating psychic ability, which is not true at all. Uh, in fact, this was designed, controlled remote viewing was designed for the person who feels like I'm about as psychic as a bag of rocks. <laughs> it's really, really... Well, I don't know, like the new generation coming in, oh, it's just ignorance, isn't it? They're just so much more tapped in, turned on, plugged in, really, to this whole thing. Because as a human race, this is where we're going. I mean, there's just so many reasons that our intuitive abilities are just turning on, switching on, bang, 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 you know, switching on, switching on. And everyone's talking about the event, the event, the event, you know, like... Corey Good and David Wilcock are saying a big solar flash is going to hit the planet. But it's just this upgrade in human consciousness and it's happening incrementally all the time, all the time. You and I were people that did it consciously, deliberately. Um, I'm going to go to a guru, learn a class, learn meditation. I want to. So I've been to many healers and stuff having healings, but it's just like an upgrade in my energy system and my human consciousness. I went to probably 18 years ago, 20 years ago now to John of God in Brazil and I wasn't sick. I was a young, healthy woman, but I had this upgrade. And when I came out of the meditation, 
I had so much more access to people's thoughts and that sort of thing. Like I could take, like I just had so much more of what I already had. It was just exponentially. So there is this sort of constant upgrading in our consciousness, but Mm -hmm. it's happening now to everyone and nobody knows what the hell is going on, what the heaven is going on, you know, like, (laughs) so there needs to be people like you that, you know, teach people what's happening and how you can control as you say control I, I was listening to some of your YouTubes and you were saying oh you might not like the word control um, because it denotes maybe you know someone's controlling you or you're controlling someone <laughs> or something but I guess that if people don't like the word control it's how you direct your consciousness like how you direct it how you focus it how you control it how you direct it yeah exactly because I mean, no, most people would love to have a puppy, but they hate that puppy stage where the puppy doesn't, you know, it's just uncontrolled and it chews up your shoes and your hoses and, and ruins, you know, pees and poops all over your house. You know, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody likes that stage of having the puppy. They like the cuteness of the puppy, but that's about it. And yeah. a lot of people get rid of the puppy, right? At, you know, because they just uh, can't handle all the unruliness, you know? And so I joke that this is, you know, <laughs> this is uh, that before you have controlled remote viewing, you're basically, you know, the tail is wagging the dog instead of the dog wagging its tail. So um, the idea behind controlled remote viewing is it's kind of like a drawer organizer for your mind. Yeah. And we all have those drawers that are full of half-used half tubes of super glue and toothpicks and paper clips and rubber bands and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, a couple of those drawers. <laughs> yeah, everybody has those drawers. And, and uh, you know, if you, if you get a little drawer organizer that fits into the drawer that has all the little cubicles, you can organize those thoughts. And so the idea behind controlled remote viewing, first of all, the first idea is that we want to open a door between the conscious and the subconscious minds because they don't communicate in the same language. You know, the conscious mind thinks in language uh, and the subconscious doesn't at all. It thinks in what we call gestalts or overall concepts or even images. And so how do you get these two minds communicating with each other? How do you open that door? Now, some people have the door wide open and it's unfortunate for them because they experience a constant flood of information from all kinds of different planes all at once, like in the case of schizophrenia, for example. And that is, you know, unbearable. But for those who do not have that right now and who are like most of us, little children start out completely subconscious and eventually grow to where the conscious mind takes over and becomes dominant and is, you know, I guess tied to the ego very strongly but is actually only about 0.01% of who we really are. And the rest of it's all rumbling under the hood. You know, we can't see it, touch it or anything. But the idea behind controlled remote viewing is to safely open that door and create a dialogue uh, through the one interpreter that connects conscious and subconscious. So what is the interpreter? Who's the interpreter that, that is able to speak to both minds? Mm-hmm. That is the body. The body's the link. Because if you think about it, like how many times have you been driving and you forget, you get lost in thought and you're so immersed in thought, you pull in your driveway and you're like, I don't even remember how I got here. I've been gone the last few blocks. Can I tell you something? Every (laughs) time I drive, I always say to people, oh, I don't drive this car. The angels drive this. I don't know who the hell drives this car. That's exactly right. I always like to joke with people, okay, you know, if you weren't driving, if your conscious mind was checked out, then who, who was driving? Yeah. Well, your subconscious takes over because it knows the way and it controls the body too. 
we know that the subconscious mind has some control over the body because your heart's beating, your lungs are breathing, and billions of processes are taking place right now that you don't have any conscious control over. At the same time, I could say, could you raise your right hand and you can do it because you have conscious control over your body as well. So the body is obviously able to communicate with both conscious and subconscious. Right. And so we have to, so what they decided when they were creating this was let's create a, a technique whereby a normal person who doesn't consider himself or herself con, uh, psychic at all could learn a technique where they actually create a physical language that they can learn that their conscious and subconscious minds can use to communicate back and forth and a kind of a shorthand for the brain. And then once this language is established, let's create a system like a, a set of protocols on a piece of paper, like a drawer organizer, where certain types of thoughts go in certain places on the page. Because we all have imagination, we have direct intuition, and then we have the logical mind that tries to sort it all out and analyze it and make sense of it. And so it's very much, uh, there's an analogy that really helps to explain it all, which is called the analogy of the president of the company. So if we all think of our conscious mind like the president of our company, then the president wants to be in charge. And if the CEO of the board of directors says, well, we want you to go away for a few weeks, we want someone else to run the company in your absence, then there's going to be this sense of, you know, this is my territory. Wait a minute. You know, who's going to do that? Oh, don't worry. We're going to have your son come in and run the company. Well, then you want the son to be successful, but not, you don't want him to make you look bad because he's so successful and you don't want him to screw things up and mess up what you've already created. So there's a lot of interference between with the president of the company, which represents the conscious mind. When you're trying to do a psychic thing or you're trying to remote view something, the president or the conscious mind is constantly checking in and well, how's it going? You know, what's going on? Uh, do I need to help here? Maybe, uh, you know, and so you're trying to get information, but for most, your average person, your average person who's never gotten control over this and has, Maybe you've never tried anything psychic. Yeah. How, how do I keep my conscious mind from interfering so much? Well, the answer is we got to, we've got to send the president to the docks and give the president something to do to keep the president busy. So we want to honor the role that the conscious mind plays in our lives because it keeps us safe. It's kept us alive for centuries in the sense of when Oog and Og were going through the primeval forest and a uh, saber-toothed tiger suddenly cracks, you know, steps on a, steps on a twig behind him. The one who says saber-toothed tiger and starts running is the one who doesn't get eaten. The one who turns around and says, what was that got eaten, right? So, so that's the whole key to the thing is that it, we, we want to honor the conscious mind. We want to go ahead and say, yes, we, we're happy to have this, this partnership. And so what we do is, is CRV becomes an interview and report methodology, a partnership between conscious and subconscious where they work together and the conscious mind interviews the subconscious, and the subconscious has access to everything that ever was in all of time and space, and gives the conscious mind that information. Okay, so could we reframe conscious subconscious into ego higher self? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Because so I, I think that you know a lot of people are having this same conversation, but it's just framed differently. As you say, yes, you know, how do we exactly. And, and again, that comes, it depends on what your background is. For people who are really comfortable with that, which other people consider woo-woo, right. and they're used to calling everything ego and, and higher self, I totally can identify with ego and higher self. 
Um, and then there are the people who come from a more scientific background for whom that doesn't make sense at all. And yeah. they, and they're, and they're maybe, for example, I have a lot of um, medical doctors and psychologists among my students and for them, conscious and subconscious makes a lot more sense because it's a little more scientific, I guess. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's the same conversation that everyone's having. It's just like you say, it's just different language. It's so interesting how life is so synchronistic because, you know, last night I find myself watching that show Medium, you know, she's in, and, and again, I was, I was, um, you know, they were investigating murders and all that sort of thing that they do on Medium and, and the police were all involved and I was thinking, gee, you know, the police are so up for this conversation. They're not saying, who's this crazy lady like on this show? And I'm thinking, I'm loving that this is on television and that they're not saying, who's this crazy lady? And they're sort of taking this more seriously. I'm not loving the subject, which is all about murder and all that. So yeah. And then I had someone who was in my house that was asking me about myself and not awake at all. It's like, I need to change my life because I'm not happy and I, I think I should start meditating was the level of conversation. And I find myself engaging in conversation with him and trying to frame something like, what do you do, he says. I'm like, right. And I'm saying to him, you know that part of you that just knows, that part yeah. of you that just you just have that knowing? And he's like searching, you see his eyes searching. I, do I have a part of me like that? And I go, you know when you're driving the car and, and you're a bit lost and then all of a sudden you go, oh, I know where to go. And it's like an instant knowing. And he goes, yeah, and like I've got it, you know, like that's, that's the sort of subconscious, if you like, or the higher self or your guidance or let's frame this in all these different ways. This is like your guides talking to you, your angels talking to you, your subconscious knowing, your higher self, like God talking to you like having that knowing and all of us do it all the time, but we just either ignore it. How did you know that? I don't know how I knew that, but I just knew that I'm so clever. Like we just ignore stuff or, you know, we just, <laughs> so interesting. So I'm having this conversation with someone who's completely asleep and I'm searching for words that his level of consciousness is going to understand and he's like can you recommend books for me and I said do you know what channeling is and he goes no and I'm like right I won't recommend that book <laughs> <laughs> you know like the Abraham material so I'm like get Eckhart Tolle's book The Power of Now and he goes right he's writing this down <laughs> that's a good book to start with I think yeah. that's a, a really good book so, yeah so I agree and um I love Lynn Buchanan's book The Seventh Sense which right. is a wonderful, a wonderful book about, um, you know, just, just how, how many senses we have. We have the normal right. five senses. We have the uh, sixth sense, which is actually the sense of ambiance because everybody has a sense of ambiance. Blind people have it. Deaf people have it. You walk into a room and the air is so thick you could cut it with a knife or right. you can tell people have been arguing or you go from a bright, cheery outdoor area into a sacred, quiet, cool church you know, it's just the difference in ambiance. Right. So the sense of ambiance is really a very real sense that everybody has universally. So that's our sixth sense. And the seventh sense is the psychic sense. Okay, um, so that's, yeah, I think that a lot of people call the sixth sense your psychic sense. But, you know, we call it this one sense. But as somebody who uses it, who directs it, who uses it, controls it, or what I don't even know how to discuss it, but um, it's so much greater than one sense. It's a whole realm. It's a whole realm of senses. It's not even just clairsentient, clair this, clair that. Clair. Yeah. It's a whole realm of senses 
that you use simultaneously, just like you use your five senses simultaneously. Like That's so I'm true. Yes. You, I'm hearing you. I'm feeling the fan on my skin. I'm, you know, smelling. Well, I'm not smelling anything much at the moment, but, it, but you know, all, they're all happening all at once. It's all right. Happening. And so is your sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, you know, all those, that right. row of senses. And, and your ability to, to feel and, and, perceive how the other person's reacting to the conversation, exactly. for example, yeah. and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, and when you have, when I was doing hypnotherapy, there was a, uh, I was working with a young woman who had that, um, I can't think of the name of it now, but it's, it's when there's a part of the brain that's damaged that causes this person not to be able to read facial expressions. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so they, and so they have no clue how people are reacting to them and they say things that are inappropriate and don't realize that it's offending people, for example, because right. they don't know, they don't pick up on the signals, you know, or they're boring someone to death and they don't notice that people are rolling their eyes. <laughs> what would you call that sense, like reading facial signals? See, that's a sense that we don't even talk about in. Like, I know it's amazing, reading. but uh, you know, it's so interesting. You know, when someone turns off, uh, I my ex husband was really good at looking at you, <clears throat> like he was really engaged in your conversation. He would do this thing and he'd go, uh huh, uh huh, uh But as someone who was psychic, I knew when he'd switch off. Like he'd just be switched off. He had a very quick mind, very fast mind, and he would listen to the first three words and then he was gone, you know, and he was thinking about you know, the thing. But he would be going, uh huh, uh huh, and so that's, it's like them that you say, did you know the queen died? And he's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like <laughs> say something outrageous and they, they don't hear it. They're not listening. That's so true. <laughs> yeah. Getting off track. Uh, yeah. Navigating this realm. So control remote viewing is a name for navigating this realm. So I think that a lot of people think that remote viewing is specifically about throwing your consciousness somewhere and looking. So for instance, you know, years ago when I was studying energy healing, had this Indian boyfriend who was deported and he called me from India. It was around 2000, long story, but it was <laughs> during the Olympics. We had the Olympics here in Australia in 2000, right? And he had immigration, like he was like asking the immigration, when am I going to get approved to live in Australia? They said, denied, because they were just doing the Olympic thing. So anyway, mm. so he's in India talking to me and he's telling me what I'm wearing. He's telling me where I'm sitting on the couch. Like he's totally, before, this is before Skype, he's totally telling me, like he's in the room with me. He's on the phone with me, but mm -hmm. he's in the room with me. He's just, he's explaining what's happening outside the window amazing you know so that's what i would perceive as remote viewing i think most people perceive that as remote viewing but and that is remote viewing it is and the thing about it is the term remote viewing is so generic it's like it's like tissue right. you know i mean you know it's like the term tissue i mean there's a million different types of tissues and they come in different colors and different boxes and all kinds of things but the term remote viewing is, is so generic and it almost now has become kind of a catchphrase for anything psychic. You know, like uh, yeah. I've had people say, Oh, Oh, you're, you teach remote viewing. Oh, well, I've been a remote viewer for 50 years. I've been a crystal ball remote viewer, or I've been a palm reading remote viewer. Or I've been a, you know, whatever. And, um, and so that's why now there have become these acronyms because the military is very into acronyms of, you know, CRV, ARV, ERV, TRV, you know, just there's a million. Okay, okay. so CRV is control remote viewing. What's ARV? 
Associative remote viewing. Okay, what's, uh, what's the other ones? Uh, extended remote viewing. Right. And then there's technical remote viewing. Right. Um, and so, and then I like to think of practical remote viewing, PRV, because uh, because let's have some practical remote viewing that the yeah, people can I use like that day. practical remote viewing. I really like that because you know it's really interesting. I use my psychic ability really practically. I mean, obviously, I use it to um, do sessions with people to like read their subconscious. Basically, I use it to read people's subconscious. I go in there. I just go in there and I just read what's going on. Um, I'm not somebody that's going to tell you what, you know, your dead grandmother and, you know, what your house looks like. I'm not going to do the psychic like thing like that because I, I don't think that that's useful. You know all that stuff. I'm going to tell you stuff that you're not aware of. So that's how I use it practically. But when I used to be on radio and you're multitasking like a demon because you've got this panel and you're also <laughs> tuning into your guest and I, I just thought, how am I going to be in my logical mind and my intuitive mind simultaneously? This was my challenge. And um, at first it was a little rocky and then we are amazing beings, you know, like we are mm -hmm. just amazing what we can do. It's amazing what we can do. And then it would happen and the mind could switch in, you know, like one minute be like, right, you've got to, the volume's got to turn down, got to turn up the volume, got to put on a song, got to put on an ad, got to tune into the guest in front of me, got to do a psychic reading. Like all of it's happening. Logic, intuit, it's all happening all at once. It was kind of exciting to learn how to do that. Radio taught me how to do that. But, you know, that's how I live my life too. I never script these conversations, never write down a question. And um, I never study for anything because I turn up in the moment and just rely on this practical remote viewing, as you call it, on this practical sense yes. to be engaged with all my other senses, five senses and all the realm of millions of other senses, just to all work beautifully together. And I bet while you were doing the radio show, you, you must have had some amazing success with your readings. And, and the reason I'm supposing that is because all the things with the volume and, and play the ad and play the song and do this and do that, that keeps your conscious mind busy, which it frees does. up. It frees up the higher self or the subconscious and it gives it a chance to have a voice right then because if the, the president or the conscious mind or the ego, whatever you want to think about, is so busy with its job of, you know, let's keep all this stuff going that it feels already important enough and it's got enough to do that you can just it's amazing it's it's like multitasking in, in, to the nth degree it's multitasking to the nth degree <laughs> i don't know i've never thought about it freeing up the yeah freeing up the um because i had to literally i had to switch like you had to switch so yeah. listening to the volume so you're listening you, you know you're you're engaging your body you're listening with your and um and then you're like looking back at your guest and because I remember once, you know, I had Mother Mary in the room channeling, not Mother Mary, uh, Mother Teresa. We were talking about Mother Teresa and she was standing in the studio with us. And I'm like, oh, wow, there's Mother Teresa. It's like, and, and, and then, but it, it was actually, it's actually switching, but switching really, really fast. It's sort of, does that make sense? I, yes, it does. I, although I, in my experience with students and myself in remote viewing, I mean, you're given a really complex set of protocols and it, they make it deliberately complicated. Right. And they do it just to put you in that situation so that you're so busy thinking, okay, where do I put this word? And how, do, how do I write this down? And meanwhile, every, you're, you're trying to write down everything that's coming into your head and you're also trying to say it out loud 
and then write it down at the same time. It's, you're, so you're trying to do a million balls in the air as a juggler, and it keeps the conscious mind so busy that your subconscious then has a voice and is able to come through. Okay, okay, okay. So I want to say this. The conscious mind only needs to be busy when it's in the way. I disagree. I think that the conscious mind needs to be kept busy when, well, it depends. In, in, in ERV, which is extended remote viewing, uh-huh. um, it's, it, that is done actually in, in a state of hypnosis, really. And right. so with, in a state of hypnosis, when someone's hypnotized, they, um, they've essentially kind of put the conscious mind to sleep so that the subconscious can interact with the hypnotist, right? Right, right. And that's what extended remote viewing essentially is, is that, <coughs> excuse me, that the, um, the monitor or the hypnotist will ask the remote viewer to access the target in a hypnagogic state. Right. And it will be the monitor's job or a recorder's job to record everything that's happening, kind of like Edgar Casey and his secretary. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. And so... So that, that's extended remote viewing. And in that case, you've got the conscious mind kind of to sleep. It's, it's not busy. It's just off to one side. But the thing about that is even in a state of hypnosis, the conscious mind checks in periodically. It kind of rises and falls and rises and falls and rises. It, checks, it kind of surfaces and then it goes deep and it surfaces and goes deep. And so the conscious mind, we find that in controlled remote viewing, which, which people are often surprised to find out, you know, the remote viewer is wide awake, eyes open, writing on a piece of paper, talking out loud the whole time, um, that in controlled remote viewing, the goal then is to have it be a dance, a partnership, uh, an interaction. And the, the conscious mind has a very definite role. And it becomes this, you know, this, this wonderful partnership. In the beginning, though, it's more like a tug of war or sibling rivalry. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's, but that's what I mean when I say when the conscious mind's in the way. So when the conscious mind's in the way is when the conscious mind's saying, you're not really doing this. You can't do this. No, you're not good at this. Like that's when the conscious mind's in the way. And or the conscious mind can be saying, you're doing this. This is good. Yeah, it can be in a partnership. It can be in opposition yeah. or it can be in a partnership. Yes. And that takes really a lot of, it takes a lot of, for, for most people that are coming, you know, from all different backgrounds right. and many of them very, have never been exposed to anything like this ever before. Yeah. For, it's in, it, take, it took me a long time before I felt like it was a partnership. It was right. more like, a, uh, it was more like a sibling rivalry for a, yeah. for a long time and, yeah. and very uncomfortable. But, um, but once they become a partnership, then yes, then it's like a beautiful dance. I mean, it's like watching the ice skaters at the Olympics, the, the, the couples. Skaters. Exactly. But that's when you don't need to give the conscious mind something to do. That's what I'm saying. No, because it already, it's, it's already a partnership. Yeah. yeah. But exactly. if it's in the way, like what you were saying, like on radio, it, it, you know, having to do the controls and having to be logical and aware like yeah. on that conscious level, um, you said, you know, it gave the conscious mind something to do, but you would only really need to give the conscious mind something to do if it's, if it's in the way, like saying, oh, you can't do this. No, you're not good at this. No, that's well, actually, the way that it gets in the way for most remote viewers right. is it's trying to be helpful. It's, it and it does often do the doubting thing like, oh, you're so full of crap. You know, that's, not yeah. but, but another thing that it does is it, um, like our, our mantra in controlled remote viewing is describe, don't identify. And so we, cause nouns, the naming ability of our brain comes from the left brain and the left brain is not psychic at all. Your conscious mind, your ego, I hate to tell people that are listening 
is not psychic at all. I mean, zero. But the, but the part of you that is psychic is 99.999% of who you are. And that is yeah. extremely all-knowing and all-psychic. But the problem is it's kind of hiding. It's kind of behind the, the back scenes there. It's under the hood. Absolutely so, agree. Say that again. The, con- the, yes. the psychic part of you is 99.99999% of who you are. It's so- exactly. But the problem is we identify so much with the ego. Which, yeah. and, and so we're listening to the ego and the ego is going, I know what it is. I know what it is. So just to give you an example, if, yeah. if I have an envelope with a picture in it and I say, could uh, to my student could you just get just take a guess what's in this envelope and the student says it's something red smooth and shiny i think it's an apple and then they pull the picture out and it's a fire engine then you know if it's the noun that always throws things off naming something and so for example i was working a, a kidnapping case and i described the backyard and the and uh, the entire back area of the home where the child was kidnapped and so the police were really interested in working with me because they were like, we've gotten all these things from all these psychics and we, nothing, we didn't get anything helpful, but you wrote us and told us you were not a psychic and, and yet you totally described this whole thing, you know? And so this was when I was a very, just starting out as a remote viewer and it, it, the way that I ended up getting involved is, is, is a long story, but we won't get into that. But anyway, I ended up getting involved accidentally in this kidnapping case. And, um, and so the, the fact that I had no idea what I was doing and that remote viewers are all often totally blind to the target. You know, we, we don't know what we're remote viewing really helps because if you make assumptions, when you're totally blind to something and you're making an assumption, I think it's a tree. I think that's a culvert. I think that's a house. A lot of times by naming it, number one, we feel like we don't have to describe it when we think we named it. You know, and a lot, I've, I've worked with a lot of professional psychics who get really excited when they name stuff, but often the things they're naming are the stuff the police already knew, for example, if, if, if we were going to use the police as a client. Nowadays, we use remote viewing for medical stuff and for archaeology and for all kinds of things. But just as an example, if you were working with the police and, and you were a psychic and you said, oh my God, he stabbed her with a knife. And the police are like, yeah, we already know that lady. But what we need to know is, you know, and they have what their need to know is come something completely different. But people will often get excited by naming something. So let's say we have a missing child and we're trying to help the police find the missing child. And I say, oh, the missing child's under a bridge. And they're like, well, thanks a lot, lady. There's 50 bridges in this city. You know, that doesn't help me. Tell me, you know, you've got to tell me where she is. Well, then if, but whereas if you totally have no idea what you're working on, you don't know you're working on a missing child because there's a lot of emotional baggage that would come with that. But you just know that you're trying to describe a location. All you've been told is the target is location, describe the target. So you start describing this location and you're describing it so thoroughly that all of a sudden the police who are reading your report go, oh my gosh, that's that bridge at Washington and Polk Street you know, and they immediately run down and find the missing child because just because your description is so thorough and so explicit that mm. they can tell just from the descriptions you've given them mm. exactly what it is. They know the area. I mean, sometimes we're describing a place that's on the other side of the world. I've never been there, you know, or uh, that's removed in time. What about the past or the future? And so you know, the people where- who know where a lot of, because this is, yeah, I, I'm loving what you're saying because this is really explaining to people how psychic ability works because where a lot of psychics go wrong is time because this is like outside of time and mm-hmm. <laughs> time and location 
I'm just thinking of your just, you know, it's description. I remember years ago, uh, we were in America actually in, in upstate New York and my husband put his wallet in his parka, but he thought it was an inside uh, pocket, but it was just the lining and it went straight through and fell out. So when he, like, he'd lost his wallet and I was in the shop enjoying myself and he said, oh my God, oh my God, I lost my wallet, I lost my wallet. And we're traveling. So it has everything, you know. It, it's oh my God. And I immediately <laughs> go, oh, where's his wallet? And I got this instant of someone picking it up and putting it in a drawer. Now where it was, what time it was, was completely eluded me. But I just said, don't worry, someone's found it. It's, it's, it's in a drawer somewhere. It's fine, it's fine. You know, like, let's just go. We went to the police, we reported it. We went back about a week later, just before we left that city. And someone had handed it in. Someone had picked it up gone to work put it in her drawer forgot it was there and then like a few days later went oh my god this wallet and then taken it to the police and it had like 300 american dollars in it and she <laughs> left it all there it was beautiful we got it back but it was just interesting to like i had a little bit of information but not a, you know n by no mm -hmm. means all the information so is this how remote viewing works i mean well, the great thing, this, that's the, the thrilling thing about controlled remote viewing is that um, there's the, in the structure. So you, let's say that you're doing a session now and you've been told the target's a location because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the location of the wallet, right? And you, you might have a visual of someone putting a, uh, something inside a drawer and you describe that. I, I see this object and I see it getting put in a drawer. Well, the cool thing is that the structure of that can then take you from that to, okay, let's describe what's around the drawer let's move up 10 feet and let's describe now let's move up 50 feet and describe the what is the what is the structure where the drawer is located and let's even triangulate what's what's 50 miles to the north what's 50 miles to the east what's 50 miles to the west you know just and get okay. to where you can so it's just a matter of keep asking questions yes and then we also have techniques for dowsing maps for getting um, numer you know, numerical information, um, ages, uh, dimensions, like width, height, depth, yeah. um, when, when in all of time did this event occur, all kinds, of, we have all kinds of techniques and tools for getting the information in a much more detailed way. So whereas normally when you're just using regular psychic ability, you come to a kind of a stopping point. It's being put in a drawer, it's fine, we'll get it back. Yeah. Excuse me, I had to cough. That's okay. <laughs> but anyways. Thanks for muting. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so we don't blow everybody's ears out. Um, so, oh, okay, this is fascinating. Um, because, you know, I don't do that sort of like where, like that's not a part of what I do, but it's interesting. It's fascinating to, to hear how that happens, you know. Like I have yeah. had people, I have had people say something's missing. Can you, you know. And it's not part of my mandate. It's like not who I am. And so I don't really go there. It's like, that's not who I am. There are people that do this professionally. Go ask them because that's not what I, you know, I can do it, but it's not what I do. And it's not like even what I want to do is find missing people or missing things or find out about, you know, what happened in murders and stuff like that. I have, um, I have been asked a couple of times and, uh, like somebody's daughter was missing and I think she'd killed herself years ago. And I tuned into the, I tuned into her and her misery. And as I did, I just felt it. And it was so hideous. I just thought I never want to do that again. Cause I just felt her misery. And so, you know, cause I, as that's part of my 
psychic ability is that feeling sense. It's very strong. So, um, yeah, I don't know. If, if people sensing murder and all that sort of stuff, they need to have maybe turn that part of them off. Well, actually, you know, I find that there are people who are more um, resilient in those areas, you know, maybe who can handle it better uh, and deal with that type of emotional uh, roller coaster. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Lynn Buchanan talked in his book about how uh, he was, one of his tasks in the military unit was to describe the plans and intentions of world leaders at the time. Right. And, um, and so, you know, he had been working on this one world leader for, you know, weeks and he's driving home. It's like a Friday evening. He's got a two hour commute to get home. He's driving home and he's thinking, okay, what am I going to do this weekend? Oh, I'm going to mow the lawn. I'm going to trim the hedges. I'm going to kill Linda. And he's wait, I'm going to kill Linda. You know, his wife, Linda, he gave a wonderful marriage. They, they've been madly in love from, you know, going on, I think 45 years. And he, it, it shocked him so badly. He pulled over and he got out of the car and he walked around thinking, why did I think that? Why did I think that? And he realized he must have brought home uh, something connected to this world leader that he had been, you know, remote viewing for yeah. two weeks. Now, um, I don't know who that world leader is, but I do know that that weekend, Idi Amin's wife died in a very mysterious way. Right. And uh, most people suspect that he murdered her. So I'm not saying that that's who Lynn Buchanan was focusing on because I don't have that information, but, um, but it is, you know, really interesting. And so what, what he did at that point was he realized he needed to devise some sort of a detox methodology right. to help him since he was getting into people's heads all the time, you know, mm -hmm. especially not just any people either, you know, mm -hmm. people for whom, uh, for example, um, genocide made total sense. You know, of course I'm supposed to kill all these people so that I can rule the world or whatever, you know. And, and when you get into people's head to that level, then what's happening really makes sense to you because you're, you're looking out of their eyes and you're looking at it the way they look at it. Yeah. Just to give you an example, this, you know, this is an interesting story. I was working on another kidnapping case and this kidnapping case was much more recent. Um, and so I'd been a, an experienced remote viewer for many years. And this was a thing where we were having to go in. I would have to go in and work on a session. I say we because my husband is my monitor. And uh, he's a wonderful monitor. He can be very, very uh, stone-faced, you know, where he doesn't give away any information at all. And yet he's really good at asking the kinds of questions that need to be asked to get the information that's needed. So I'm working on this kidnapping, and it was a kidnapping in a foreign country. And, um, and I've, I've located this the kidnapped victim, and I find out that the kidnapped victim is being kept in an underground building that has a hallway with all these rooms, and there are other kidnapped victims as well. It's not just the one. And uh, I, I, I ended up linking with a guard. Now, this is a very advanced technique. We don't teach this to beginners, but I was linking with this guard so completely, and I am fluent in Spanish, so um, the guard and I are having like a conversation that's completely happening, and by this time, I'm pretty deep into like a probably a very deep alpha brain state. Um, and I'm, as I'm having trouble talking and writing and everything because I'm so connected with this. And it was the same time that we were I'm viewing this person in real time. So it was like eight o'clock at night where I was. It was also eight o'clock at night where this person was, where the guard was. And because and, and, um, we were in the same time zone. Mm. And it was also a full moon out. Mm -hmm. So we're in, we're in our house, of course, and I'm doing the session and this guard, um, you know, he's, I, I said, why are there so many victims? I mean, why are there so many kidnapped people? 
why are you kidnapping us? And, and I literally, in my head, I heard him say in Spanish, well, we are the such and such and such group. And he gives me this long name of this group. And I wrote it down. But generally, again, describe, don't identify, right? So this is suspect yeah. because it's a noun. It's a series of nouns and names. But I was also by this time almost in like an ERV or an extended remote viewing state. I was kind of toggling the line between extended remote viewing and controlled remote viewing. I'm still writing. I'm still talking. But I'm really out there pretty far. And Can I then, ask you a question? Yeah. So you're having a conversation with him. Does he know he's having this conversation with you? No, he doesn't. He, it's, I mean, it's completely like subconscious to subconscious almost. You right. Know? So, I'm definitely dealing with his subconscious. Okay, okay. And, and so he's not aware of it at all. And if it's done correctly, he should never be aware of it. And, right. Um, so, so as I'm doing this, though, and I'm getting this information, I suddenly come to understand the ideology of this group right. and why they're doing it. And I literally, I'm embarrassed to admit this, I looked at my husband and I said, I think we might be on the wrong side. These guys have a really great cause. And my husband looks at me and says, does someone need to detox? (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, when you're in that state, all of a sudden you're thinking like they think. And he was passionately for the cause of this group, which was to, you know, liberate this country and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they had to, they had to kidnap these people in order to raise the money for, you know, for the, for their cause. And as soon as he said that, I was like, I snapped back and I was like shocked that I had even said that, you know, I was shocked with myself. And so we did a detox right away to to completely let go of that and move away from that and get back in my own mind, state of mind, you know. But what you're explaining here is how contagious thought is, you know, how you can completely convince people, hypnotize people, like, it's how contagious thought is. And this is what, you know, this is why I started this show. This is what the media does to us on a daily basis. It it's com- so true. I mean, I mean, yes, that's, it's so true. And here in the United States, of course, there's a lot, right now it's a time of political controversy and division that is the greatest I've seen in my lifetime, really. I mean, and I, I know that we've had, you know, we had a civil war at one point, so I know that it's happened before, but, um, and I, and I had a, a dear friend who came to visit and her ideology politically is the opposite of mine. I mean, black and white, complete opposite. So she started talking about her ideology, which I, you know, hundred percent disagree with. And, but rather than just saying, Oh my God, you're so wrong. I mean, you're such an idiot. Look at this, you know, rather than doing that, I suddenly said to her, you know, you feel like this and I feel like that, but the truth is we're probably both being manipulated. I said, this is, I said, the whole country's being manipulated and, and, and probably neither one of us is right because the truth is probably somewhere totally different, you know, yeah. if you really yeah. wanted to really get into that. And so I, I think that you're absolutely right. We're, we're just um, being um, so influenced by the media. And if you think about it, there's screens everywhere now, screens and... You know, there's an ad on Australian television for um, streaming some sort of streaming services and it's showing predominantly young people on their phone watching it like sitting on the toilet watching it on the bus watching it you know like just watching their screen 24 and it's saying oh look you can sit on the toilet and watch this you can do this and watch this you can do that and watch this it's like it's just this perpetual feeding like it is it is and i feel myself even um 
that it's really had a tremendous effect on me because especially for those of us who are more empathic, uh, you know, it's, um, I don't know if you experience this, Karen, but do you ever have a, a situation where you wake up in the middle of the night and you suddenly are in a t totally different emotional state than you were when you went to bed, maybe anxious or picking up on people's anxiety from all over the place. It can be, it can be really, um, a lot of people are telling me they're experiencing this where they're waking up in the middle of the night and they just are like pulling in people's stuff from all over the planet, you know, and that can be what, really. I don't know if I do that in the middle of the night, but I definitely do, do that. I definitely do that all the time. But you know, again, I want to come back to, um, you know, it's those questions. It's like, you just got to keep asking the questions. What's happening? Why am I feeling this? Is it me? Get, like it's just those questions because there's this con there's a conversation going on between call it your subconscious call it god call it your angels call it your guides call it your galactic friends call it your higher self whatever you want to call it and um but we experience phenomena like pain in our body and then the mm -hmm. logical conscious ego whatever you want to frame that mind takes a hold of it and goes oh my god i'm dying of cancer oh my god what if what if what if what if oh what's happening what's happening oh, i've got to go to the doctor so we get sort of inside this fear instead of saying what mm -hmm. am i feeling right now like i remember when i was a massage when i was a massage person and i was really empathic and so i was i was young like 20s 30s and didn't really have an understanding or a grasp of what was going on with me which i feel a lot of young people do now so this is why this conversation is so important for any empath you know psychic intuitive person which is everybody to navigate what's happening and i would be because i was a mobile i'd be driving to someone's place and i'd be like oh i've got this pain in my knee or oh i've got this pain in my back and my logical mind would go oh my god i'm sick i can't do this job you know, that would be the logical mind. And then I would say, calm down, calm down, calm down, because I was getting used to maybe something else was going on. And I'd arrive at the person's place and they'd say, I have this pain exactly where I felt it while I was yeah. driving oh. to the job. So it wasn't even my pain. So I didn't have to sort of stop, turn around and go to the doctor. I just needed to detox. I had that. I don't know. Oh my God. And when that started happening, I, because I had never had that happen until a certain point in my life where I'd been remote viewing for, I don't know how many years, but all of a sudden I started just having horrible pains coming up and they were coming from different people that were around me. Mm -hmm. And I called Lynn Buchanan, who was my, you know, mentoring me. And I was like, what is this? He was like, sorry, I can't help you. I don't know what it is. And, uh, and I felt really alone during that time, but I found a couple of books that really helped me. Um, one was by Mona Lisa Schultz, who is a physician here in the States. And she wrote a book about th that exact phenomena. And uh, it was about something like how intuition works or something like that. Really great. And then there was another one by, um, oh, I can't think of her name right now. But anyway, another physician psychic who wrote a book called Second Side, Judith Orloff. She also writes about empaths and how, what they deal with and how to, uh, you know how to stay in your own space so you don't have to take on everyone's things you can know it you can say oh i this person died from hanging without having to get choked yourself exactly exactly <laughs> exactly 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 because exactly. that's, no that's no fun so let me ask you um you know i rely on what i call my mob my spiritual team my mob i used to call them you know, I used to call it my common sense. And then when I started exploring this more and when I was doing energy work and so like that, 
I realized that I have guides and then I started talking to them like, who are you guys? And they showed me. <laughs> so I just called them the mob because there was always, it was always a group. It was always a stream. It was always more than I could count. And, um, and they were nameless. There was no identity to them. I gave them a name. I called them blissful beings. You know, the mob was really <laughs> the name. And I thought a prettier name. I'll give you a prettier name. But do you, do you talk to your mob? Like, like I rely on them to, to tell me what, what the hell's going on because of this empathic ability you have. It's like, what, can you just tell me what's happening? Can you show me? Like I talk to them all the time. Some people call it God, talk to God or whatever. Do you do that? Some people, some people call it the great big cosmic database in the sky. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, well, you know, it's interesting because as my, during my missionary years, I always talked to God and to right. angel yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And then it was an interesting, slow transition. And uh, people often say, how has this affected your spirituality or your belief systems? And one of the things that, that has happened was that, for example, I really, it's not that I didn't believe in aliens, but I just didn't want to think about that. So I didn't go there mentally because it confused me if I had this very nice, neat God package with Jesus and God and (laughs) hell and the devil and, you know, just, you know, it was so nice and packaged, you know, very easy. And so so to suddenly insert aliens in there, it was like, "Eh," you know, just, (laughs) it didn't work. And so, um, you know, I met Lynn Buchanan (laughs) and I'm working with him. He was the perfect teacher because there there were several people I could have ended up training with, but Lynn was great because he was, uh, he'd been formerly been a, a minister, a Methodist minister, and he'd also been raised as a Baptist. So he could relate to my religious views at the time. And he was very gentle and very, you know, very patient, very gentle. And so one day I was assigned, this was many years, you know, I'd been remote viewing now for a number of years, and I was given a paid project. And I didn't, you know, I never know who the customer is. That's always handled by my project manager. So I didn't know who the customer was or or anything. All I knew is I was working on a paid project and I was supposed to describe an event. And so the event actually was an event called known as the Kinross incident, which happened in the early fifties here in the United States when at a Naval, I mean, an air force base, they, they saw a blip on the radar that they didn't know what it was. So they sent a plane to intercept it and it was over this lake and the plane and the blip merged. And then both vanished off the radar and they never did find the plane or any evidence of the plane. And so that was the target I was working on, but I had no idea what I was working on, but I was suddenly, you know, seeing this plane. And then I was seeing, I was seeing uh, this, this being that I didn't, you know, and I saw this technology that I didn't uh, recognize at all. You saw a a beam or a being, a being, a being, a being. being. Yes. I saw a being that I did not perceive to be human. Okay, so what did the being look like? Well, you know, now when I look back at this particular session, I wonder, was I actually seeing uh, like an alien or was I actually seeing maybe the pilot with the mask on? You know, how the pilots had the oxygen masks and the helmet and the goggles and the whole nine yards. I might have been perceiving that. Right. But all I knew is that I ran into something and I was like, I don't know what this is. And I called and and I remember calling Lynn Buchanan saying, Lynn, I'm remote viewing something and it's kind of pushing the boundaries of my belief system. And he laughs and he says, yeah, yeah, CRV will do that. You know, <laughs> it's like, and he goes, but think of it this way, Lori. He said, if, if God can be the God of this planet, why wouldn't God be big enough to be the God of the universes and, you know, uh, you know, and, uh, and, Absolutely. and 
whatever. You know, why does God have to be so small that he can only handle one planet? Yeah, just, just planet Earth. It's like they say, you know, all that is means all that is. Like Exactly. But, but was, all that is for most people stops at the edge of the Earth, you know. Exactly. Well, you know, well, gee, I'm happy with us right here. We're so important. Yeah, and, yeah. So I remember at that time, you know, I mean, well, way back, in, you know, when I first came back from the States being a missionary, uh, Hubble telescope photographs would kind of send me into a, a spin because I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, if, if, the, if this cloud that I'm looking at is really multiple planet, I mean, multiple stars and who knows how many planets are around there. And I would just sort of, I'd be like, I just didn't even know what to do with that. But over time, of course, and remote viewing more and more wilder and wilder, it, you know, things, um, it's just really expanded my whole God box just kind of blew open. And now, of course, I feel like there's so much more. In fact, I believe personally that the earth is sentient, you know, as a sentient being. Oh, yeah, and, for sure. And, you know, I mean, if you'd, if you'd come up to me and said the earth is a sentient being 20 years ago, I would have probably just said, oh, poor thing. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, the rocks, the sun, the moon, it's all alive, you know. It's all alive. Everything, it's all alive. Everything. It's all conscious. Um, just going back to your, uh, you saw what you, a being, what was the upshot? Can you tell us, like, what happened to that plane? You know, I believe that the plane actually did end up getting, uh, getting at the bottom of the lake because we, uh, no, I wasn't the only viewer on this. I became uh, really good friends after this with, a, with another viewer who was the very first remote viewer in the military's remote viewing unit. And he and I have become dear friends over the years and he became a second mentor to me. His name is Melvin Riley. And uh, we both perceived that the wreckage of the plane was in a trench at the bottom of this lake, which is the, the big lakes in the United States that are like an ocean almost in right. the middle of the States. And, uh, but we did, I did definitely perceive that there was kind of a merging point with this, this other UFO, whatever you want to call it. And I saw the technology in the UFO. So I think that the plane was actually destroyed. Um, you know, I think really, that the, the plane I, was destroyed by the UFO. Yeah. It was UFO. Uh, so you, you, you saw a UFO. We've had such fantastic internet. And then as you start talking about this, when I start asking, the internet's going crazy. Isn't that interesting? I know. I got a sign that said your internet is stable, unstable. And the funny thing is I have fiber internet here, which is supposed to be like, you know, 150 Mbps I know. Isn't that interesting when we start it talking? It is. Very interesting. Okay. So <laughs> what I'm seeing is that you've been using your ability to move your consciousness beyond your physical body most people don't even know we have that ability to other places on earth but of course earth is not the only like consciousness lives outside of time and space we can go anywhere we can go any we can go we're totally anywhere. unlimited exactly we can we're go to mars we can go to different cosmoses we can go anywhere if we want and karen you know people that would like to know like what are the what are the, the most interesting things you've ever reviewed and one of the wildest stuff um, on my website, which is intuitivespecialist.com, and that's an S at the end of specialist, so it's one word, intuitivespecialist.com, there is a blog, and if you go to the bottom of the blog page, it says older entries, and you can go about three pages back, and there's a blog called 18 Years of Excitement, which I wrote probably three or four years ago for a magazine called 
Eight Martinis, which is a remote viewing magazine. And um, <laughs> eight Mart you, know, you know why it's called Eight Martinis? Because, because in the military, you got the eight martinis. You're like, <laughs> no, it's because, your body. <laughs> it's because when these military guys would be doing these sessions, sometimes they would have a session that would blow their minds so much that they'd have to go out to a bar and have eight martinis afterwards. <laughs> and so, and so they would say, "Man, that was an eight martini session," you know. So, <laughs> this guy named Das Smith, who lives in Bath, England, uh, came up with this. Let's, I'm going to start a remote viewing magazine. He calls it Eight Martinis. It's a great and the, name. It. Yeah, and it really is. And the, the cool thing is this, uh, the, uh, there's a, an edition coming out in April, and it's, it's all about the remote viewing trainers that are out there. And, and it's, they're all, all of us filled out a huge questionnaire. It took me like four hours to do, um, explaining, you know, answering everybody's questions about you know, your training. Like, what do you train and what do you, what, you know, what, how do you handle this and have blah, 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 you know, all kinds of questions. And it's a, it's a full edition with all these interviews by different trainers and how they train. And that will help a lot of people choose a trainer if they want to get trained in remote viewing. But this 18 years of excitement, has a session that I did on the planet Mars that was one of the most outstanding remote viewings I've ever had. It was just really mind-blowing. And it actually really shifted. You know how you talked about going to John of God and it caused a big shift? Yeah. That's what happened to me in that session. I just had a huge... And then okay, I was so, so, you, someone did, so you went to Mars. Someone did this session with you. So let, let, let's just get the logistics right about the remote viewing. So remote viewing, control remote viewing is... You've got, it's like having a hypnotist session or like a... No, no, that's, no, 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 no. That's extended remote viewing with the hypnotist. Controlled remote viewing is not like having a hypnotist at all. But don't you need someone to be there with you, sort of asking you questions, writing stuff down like a, like a... No. No. No, no, not with controlled remote viewing. With okay. extended remote viewing, you do. Right. But with controlled remote viewing, you are the one writing everything down. You're the viewer and you've got a pencil and a, I mean, a pen and a piece of paper and you've got a structured written protocol that you're following. Right. That you're, and, uh, and so that's, that's what you do in controlled remote viewing. Okay. So you're awake. I mean, when I say awake, you're, you're conscious. Yes. Like yes, you're, you're in your conscious open. mind as well as you're having that beautiful symbiotic relationship between conscious, unconscious. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Which you can do all the time if you choose. Is that you ringing or you, me? That was my, my watch was dinging. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry. Your watch is dinging. My phone's dinging. We're, we're dinging. We're probably we're probably yakking on for ages. How long have we been talking? I don't even know. Um, um, we st well, we started about ten after six, I think, my time, and now it's seven forty-one. So it's been about an hour and a half, about ninety minutes. Oh gosh! So we should probably wrap this up. I've been completely <laughs> engaged in what you're saying. It's, it's just fascinating, and it's just something that just needs to expand on this planet. You know, we're coming into this age of enlightenment, this age of empowerment. We need to know who we are and what's possible. And, you know, I've stumbled into this. So you're teaching people in a controlled way, in a directed way, in a focused way. I just stumbled into all of this. I have to say 9-11. So I wake up in the morning because it happened overnight here in Australia. Um, my little nephew was born around the same time it was happening, which was really interesting. And um, I wake up in the morning, a client rings me and says, turn on your television. And it was kind of unfolding at like eight o'clock in the morning. And, um, and then we went to the hospital. Instead of looking at the baby, we're looking at the television screen going, nice baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? <laughs> and I just, as a healer, I just went, how can I help? 
And I threw my consciousness over there to go and help. Like I don't even knew, I, I didn't even know I could do this. Right? I just, but I just mm-hmm. felt like there was a large amount of people that were in trouble and I needed to help. And when I got there, what I saw was a whole lot of souls, um, like guardian angels, like other souls that were there to help all these. Because so many people died, they didn't even know they died. Because one minute they're at their desk, the next minute they're at, you know, their body is mm-hmm. disintegrated. And so they don't even actually know they're dead. And, but they're like in an environment, like what's happening? What's happening? So there's mass confusion, both on the ground and you know, in physical reality and in non-physical reality. But there was a whole stack of souls there saying, it's okay, come with me. And they lo- a lot of them look like firemen. So they were like authority, like, that's all right, come with me. I know what's happening and, and that we're helping people. And I thought, oh, they're right. They don't need my help. And I came home. But I didn't even know I could do that. Like, I just didn't <laughs> even know I could do that. It was just a fluke accident. It was just an intention I wanted to help. I need mm-hmm. to see what was happening. So is this happening to people? Like is, what would yes, you say about that? There's something that, that will really help to kind of define exactly what that is. Um, we, we talk about in the remote viewing process that there's a moment where you're like, when you first start out, you're just writing words down and you're talking and you're saying, okay, brown, green, blah, 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 blah. And then there's a moment in which you'll notice a remote viewer is suddenly looking up, for example, maybe looking up at the target, but they, you just suddenly, you know, they're sitting in a room and you suddenly notice that their eyes are going back and forth or they'll suddenly go, Oh, it's really tall. And suddenly the tone of voice has changed. And so what has happened there is they've gone from just spitting out random words to having perceptions that include them and the target. And it's like a spatial relationship often, like it's taller than me or I'm outdoors instead of just saying, there's an outdoorsy feel to this, you know, I'm outdoors. Well, you're not outdoors. You're sitting right here at my table writing on a piece of paper. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I feel like I'm outdoors or I, you know, so when that happens, we call that the aesthetic impact. And the aesthetic impact is when you go from just describing something at the target to almost like becoming part of the target, but there's actually no part of you that's leaving your body. Um, it's not an out of body experience. A lot of people think, no. Have yes. a control room of viewing is an out of body experience. Yeah, but exactly. It's, yeah, it's it's actually like your consciousness. And I kind of like to draw a little diagram for people. A lot of times, when we were kids, we were shown the curvature of the Earth and how radio waves bounce off the atmosphere. It's kind of like that. It's like your subconscious or your uh, higher self is is getting information from the, the matrix, whatever you want to call it, the signal line. And bringing that, inf- bouncing that information back to the conscious mind, which is taking it and writing it on a piece of paper. And so that's how this dance works is, you know, it's like, I need this information. Oh, okay, here it is. And it's lightning fast because our higher self or our subconscious minds are lightning fast. I mean, you know, before we can ask the question, it's there, the answer. And so the thing about it yeah. is that it's, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose, though, because the poor ego or conscious mind is, you know, lumbering along, trying to make sense of this information, and that's uh, coming at it like so fast, and we're trying to take a sip from the fire hose. But this aesthetic impact is like if you were watching the program Medium, you know, uh, when somebody would like hand her the pen of the murder victim, for example, and she would yes. suddenly flip out and throw the pen across the room, for example. It's because she was having an aesthetic impact from that, you know, like this just sudden contact that was so intense. And that's what happens is, um, you know, like I, we, it's almost like a bilocation experience. 
when I had that Mars session, for example, I literally, I got so cold, my lips turned blue and we was hot. We, I was at that stage of life where I was having hot flashes all the time. And we were, at, <laughs> we were, we were visiting my husband's parents and they were in the, another room watching, but they would never turn on the air conditioner because they were in their eighties. So it was super hot. And suddenly I'm on Mars and my lips turn blue and my teeth are chattering. My husband had to wrap me up in a coat because I was really having a physical reaction to the target. And so the consciousness, it's yeah, because what, because you're out there in your consciousness, it's, and it's not like your receptors on your skin, what that perceive hot and cold wouldn't, you know, like how, why are you hot? That this is, you know, begs the question, why are you hot and cold? Well, you know, in hypnosis, for example, when I went to hypnosis school, they talked about how you could tell a person under hypnosis that you were going to burn them with a cigarette or a match. And they would literally form a blister. You could just touch them with your finger and they'll form a blister there because they think, you know. And so the, our consciousness, both subconscious and, and most, mostly subconscious, really affects our bodies. That's how we can create cancer, for example, and we can cure cancer. We can, you know, we can totally change our consciousness uh, and our bodies, our physicality through our minds. And uh, that's why I don't understand why I'm not skinny yet, but I'm... <laughs> Me either, darling. I've been trying to think myself thin for 20 years and I just keep getting sadder. <laughs> I, want to, I want to come to Australia and, and uh, work with uh, John Gabriel. Are you familiar with John Gabriel in Australia? No. Oh my gosh, you're there in Australia and that's where he lives. Anyway, look up the Gabriel method and, you'll, and he, he lost over 200 pounds, which it's like, what, how many stone is that? I don't remember the difference, but he lost, he was 450 pounds. And he literally used uh, visualization to, to make himself get down to like 180. And he's been 180 now for 14 years. But his site is wonderful. You would love his site because that's what exactly okay. what he did. Well, this is an answer to it because literally I have been thinking, it's like I'm defiant. I, every now and then I get on the shoes and I go to the gym and I do like six weeks, eight weeks of going crazy in the gym and I lose like eight kilos and then I go F this and I come home and sit on the couch and, well, do exactly. and don't move for another two years because I just think it's got to be easier. Our minds are so powerful. It just has to be easier than going I think he's in Brisbane. Where are you? Are you in Sydney? I'm in Sydney. Yeah. 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 Okay. So anyway, I don't know. Brisbane, I know that Australia is huge. So Brisbane's probably far, far away from Sydney. Yeah, it is. But, oh, there's so much more to say. Look, there's a couple of things. There was a couple of questions I didn't think you had. So when I asked you, you know, do you talk to your mob? And you said, I've always spoken to God. So do you still rely on that? Like when you're asking? I questions? do. I, yeah. I believe that I have helpers. Yeah. And for example, every time I'm going to teach a class, yeah. I always I would say, oh, send me some teach some teacher helpers today to so that this yeah. class will be amazing, and it really be help me to give the students exactly what they need today. Yeah. And I just I feel very comfortable with that doing that. You know, just asking talking for help. To the angels talking. Yeah, to I mean, I've been the lucky recipient of so many miracles and so much manifestation that mm -hmm. I just cannot ever say, oh, none of that exists because it's definitely happened in my life. You know, and there's no denying it. So. So yeah, I do feel very, very comfortable with that. With that, I, and so yeah, I do it all the time. Okay, well, I've still got a, a million burning questions that I could ask you, but I'm going to wrap it up. How can people find out about your courses? And I, I think that you do most of them online. I think we didn't even get into the Earthships. That'll we'll have to do that another time. <laughs> the Earthships is a place where you live. It sounds amazing. I've I've been to many 
talks on earthships and um, I think it's amazing. But, but you do all your courses online, don't you? Well, um, actually, many of them are both, you know, people can come and take them physically and I do them online. So right, right. Um, and I, I usually I think do on your website. It says that you were like organizing. So you were doing them all online, but that maybe that needs to be updated now. Um, no, I'm not doing them. Well, I do offer all of them online. It's just that uh, when we were moving, yes, we were, moving. we were moving. We couldn't have anybody come to take the class physically. Yeah. We didn't have this office yet or anything. We didn't know what we were going to do as far as internet went or anything. But uh, but now we're settled and we've got this beautiful place to do the classes. And so people can come and physically take them or they can join us online, which now has allowed me to have students from all over the world. I've always had students from all over the world, but they used to have to either travel here or I had to travel to Europe or Moscow exactly. or wherever to teach. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I, yeah, exactly. I love it. I love that, you know, we can do all this online because the world becomes a much smaller place, you know. <laughs> it does, it does. So why would people want to do it? They want to um, take more control of their empathic, intuitive abilities, direct it more, more focused. Like people always say, um, they ask me, because I used to teach, you know, I used to have courses say, you know, teaching people about their psychic abilities, how to tune into their guides and all that. Stuff. And I really don't do that so much anymore. But, um, but people are always asking me where to go. So um, what, I, what I really love, and, and my personal style is practical. I really want, uh, I, I not only want to teach people a pro, how to use their intuitive abilities in a really practical way. Practical way, yeah. But, you know, so that you can use it Why on a daily basis. Why else would you basis. want to use them? I mean, exactly. not you know, everyone's well, going to set up shop as a psychic and say, I'm going to read you and, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Right, and not everyone's going to go out and save missing children or whatever. So, exactly, know, yeah, some, yeah. Some people, a lot of people take my courses. I, I found out when I analyzed, because I've taught close to a thousand students now, because, you know, these classes, we keep them small, but I teach often once or twice a month for three days each time, a workshop. And so in looking at my student roster, I realized about 80% of my students are entrepreneurs. And so I love helping people uh, in their businesses, you know, to improve their business decisions. Um, and I don't believe in people spying on the competition so they can, you know, that, I think that's a dishonest use of it. But I do think that it's great when you can, uh, for example, if you work in a business where you have to put in bids, you know, let's, get the best bid or choose the job. Make sure you're choosing, you're bidding on a job that's not going to be fraught with problems, you know, choose the job that's best for you. I have students who've done that or real estate uh, agents who, you know, if you're coming to buy a house and you, you, you want to, you want me to take you and show you houses for sale so that you can choose a house to buy. Well, I could sit down and do a session on to show me the house you're going to buy. What are the qualities of the house you're actually going to buy? Mm. Moving ahead through time to the moment that you've, you're purchasing the house and get the qualities of that house and then only show you houses that meet those criteria. And then so instead of having to show you 20 houses before you find the one you want to buy, you buy the first one or the second one that I show you because mm. it's the one that, that you were supposed to buy in the first place i'm just thinking you know i'm thinking about people who say oh maybe i could find a, a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend like that <laughs> well I, you know it's true you you can really i mean uh, i've had a lot of my students who've used it um, not so much for themselves but for their children you know one one woman told me i wanted to see the next boyfriend my daughter was going to be dating and she described him to a t and then when her daughter comes home one day and goes mom i met the guy that you described you know and um, I've used that a lot. It's great for parenting. We were able to actually 
prevent our children from doing some really stupid things by anticipating them in advance. You know, that was very helpful. And uh, we have, I have one son who's now in close to 40, but when he was 16, he, um, he was going to go get lucky one night with a young lady. And he wanted to get lucky because he had never been lucky before in that sense. And so he sneaks out of his bedroom window at two in the morning, crosses the lawn, goes down the driveway. And there at the end of the driveway is his father standing there and says, you get back in the house. You're not going to go make love to that girl. You know? <laughs> Said, Mom, it was really rough growing up with remote viewers for parents. <laughs> so, That's a classic. That is classic. So, so anyway, we just, um, if people are interested in the classes, they can go to my website at HTTPS. No, I'm sorry. It's just, just put it the website underneath intuitive specialist. Yeah, intuitive specialist with an S at the end of specialist. Intuitive specialist.com. So it's plural. And, um, and there's a calendar on the website. There's a lot of free stuff. There's free mini classes. There's, uh, you can go to the other, I think it's, it says other, and there's media. Uh, there's all kinds of interviews and um, spots. I've done spots on Coast to Coast and on. Um, well, I was looking at your YouTube channel to see, you know, because you've got this fabulous YouTube, but you haven't been on there for about four or five years, I think. I know. And you know what it is? It's because. 2004, what we, five years. What, yeah. what we've been working on is. Um, we have been working on filming my three core workshops, which is basic, right. intermediate, and advanced. And what we're trying to do is we're going to actually create um, on Vimeo, we're going right. to be creating downloadable classes. So for people who don't have a three-day block in which right. to take a workshop, yeah. uh, they'll be able to really take it at their own pace. And, right. and I'll be coming on line for Q and A's and I'll be actually physically there to answer questions and things at least once a month. And so we've got, we're, we're building this beautiful platform beautiful. right now. And I've been, I've, it's been taking, I've been working on it since uh, for several years actually, because we really yeah. want it to be a very high quality product. This is something that we don't want to just throw out there and have it be junk. We want it to be really top notch because it's, so you you kind of you're directing it at a more mainstream person because like there's yeah. heaps of courses like talk to your angels or talk to your spirit guides or you know like there's heaps of courses like that um, but then mainstream people find that too fluffy well, yeah and one thing that I'm really big on I'm, I'm velvet <laughs> yeah I want my students to be versatile and I want them to be resilient and I want them to be also really accurate. And the only way to build accuracy, this is like a mental martial art, you know, wax on, wax off. Mental the only way to build accuracy, yeah, it really is. And you, you have to practice on a regular basis on provable hard targets. That means that if, if you're going to work on something, it's got to be something that you can prove because it's too easy to close your eyes and say, oh my gosh, I just remote viewed the the aliens on the planet guru in the galaxy of such and such. And, and just, I had an amazing experience and all of that might be very euphoric, but there's no proof and your ego doesn't have to deal with being wrong. Whereas if we can conquer our whole need to be successful and our need to be right all the time through doing hard targets where you say, I'm seeing, um, I, I'm seeing a, a man-made object. It is blue and it's metallic and it's shiny and it's used for transportation and then I pull the picture out and I see a red car. I go, well, it is, everything's right except that I got the color wrong, let's say, okay? Then I have to deal with the fact that I got the color wrong, but at least I have something provable and I can score all my perceptions based on this hard feedback. And so after you've done 200 sessions, 
with practice targets and you can then see a huge amount of data. I'm, I'm 98% accurate in, in this, in the area of um, textures or describing people, let's say, but I really, really am bad at, at describing um, man-made objects or colors or whatever. You know, you can come up with actually in my web, my students actually have access to my database and in the database they can put all their, scores they can score themselves on every session they do and then they get a, a pattern they get a, an actual track record mm. so let's say that let's say that i was 98 percent accurate in colors after 200 sessions or 400 sessions or something then you if you ask me to view something for which there isn't feedback like what is the color of the planet in such and such a galaxy and i said it's purple <laughs> then you, you could be 98% sure that it's purple because I have a track record. But if I have no track record and I'm just like going, oh, I believe it's, you know, then that's, that it can often be where we kid ourselves. Like I'm the most amazing psychic that ever lived because I have these euphoric experiences all the time with, you know, whatever. And a lot of, I see a lot of people who do that. And I had one lady who came to me and she said, oh my God, I've got to talk to my boss because there's going to be this terrible catastrophe and uh, we've, got to, we've got to buy a bunch of supplies and we've got to do this and this. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, okay, now how many times have you had a vision like this? She said, oh, this is my first one. I said, well, then don't go to your boss because if, unless you have a track record of, well, every time I have a vision, this, what, the event that I see will happen within two weeks and it's happened 20 times then you don't want to just make up something and say, oh, I've had a vision and I know it's going to happen. And the vision she had never did happen. I mean, that was back in 2006. Yeah, because it was, it was based in fear. Look, you just, as you keep talking, I just get more que are you Like, more questions arise in me. <laughs> I'll try to wrap this up and I just have a million more questions to ask you. Like, I'm thinking of Sandra Champlain, you know, she has a show called We Don't Die and and she's been studying, she's been over in England at the such and such a school of psychic developments and old school and lots of psychic. Anyway, but her story is that the first time she went and did a course, she started to read someone. She said, oh, I can see this man and he looks like this. And, and, and it was his, the dead father. And, and she was spot on accurate. Then she thought, oh, my God, I can do this. I can't imagine. And then the next time she's, she's you know, seeing and it was like completely wrong. Because obviously she was talking to a client and, or a, a person, a student. So it, her story fascinates me how she could be completely spot on the first time she did it. And then the next time she did it, she was wrong. Uh, like, do, you know, do you know they've done studies on that? And um, they find that there is a, a, a provable pattern where you'll, you'll be just like beginner's luck or whatever you want to call it. You know, like uh, first, they call it the first timers effect. Right. And it's amazing. And then you'll have a huge dip. And a lot of people quit when they have the dip. Like yeah. they're just like, they're like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't right. do this to save my life. I'm not going to do it anymore. Yeah. But if you push through that, because what happens is actually there's a reaction between conscious and subconscious where it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's happening? This is totally different. I don't know if I'm good with this. And they, and they kind of had to battle things out a little bit. And it all happens subconsciously. So you're not even aware it's happening, but you kind of battle it out. And when you come through on the other side, once again, you'll be really doing great and you'll do good for a while and then you'll have another drop off. And that's actually, so it's what, proven. What's happening when they're wrong? You remember the person that w was deported to India? Yes. And he's like in the room with me. He's on the phone with me. He's also describing what's in the room. I took him when he was here, I took him to the races. He'd never been to the races or the trots or something one day anyway. And we were doing these small bets because he was amazingly intuitive, right? Indian guy. But he was working in the corporate world and he didn't give any 
credence to any of his intuitive abilities because he wanted to be successful in the corporate world anyway. And I was playing with his intuitive abilities and he was betting small amounts of money and winning every single time. And then he upped the ante to like $10 because I remember he was very small amounts of money and he, he bet like $10 or $20. And as soon as he upped the ante, not putting a dollar or $2 on, he started to lose. Now, what was, <laughs> like, what was happening? As I say, more questions are coming as we keep talking. It's just interesting how this, yeah, this ability can be so spot on and so not spot on. Uh, yeah. That's another conversation. We, yeah, we really do. And if actually, if anybody that's listening wants to read the blog on my website at intuitivespecialist.com, the blog is uh, really, ha- it actually addresses some of these things. Um, there's, a, there's a blog on displacement because displacement frequently happens. There's also a blog on when you just feel like quitting because you're failing every time. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of answers to these questions are in, you'll be, will be found right, on the blog. On the blog. Oh, Laurie, it's been so beautiful to talk with you today. I could talk about this. As I say, I want to see schools. I want to see universities teaching this stuff. Because it's a huge subject. It's, it's as big as any subject in university that, you know, science. I, I, lo- I would love medicine. to see it be taught in fifth grade Absolutely. and in high schools. You know, it would just be so great. I, I've actually taught children, my own children, of course. I have a lot of kids. And it, and yeah, it was so great. It was really great. I mean, they did really wonderfully. And, uh, and that way they kind of grew up just where intuition is just accepted. It's just a normal thing you know, instead of it being something weird or. Absolutely. I just see so many young people having, going through so much pain and sometimes they've got to realize it's not even their own pain. It's like, they just need to, they just need to get a grip of what they're feeling, especially empaths. But thank you so much. It's been really beautiful. To stick with you. Thanks yeah. so much. Really, thanks for having me on. This is fun. And uh, yeah, the conference again. You'll be talking. If anyone's in uh, Denver, it's in Denver, Colorado, isn't it? The conference. Yes, and I think it's May fifth and sixth. May fifth uh, and sixth, Paranormal Supernatural Conference. So you're one of the speakers at the conference, and uh, you'll have a ball. Have a ball. I'm actually the keynote speaker, and I'm oh. actually going to be. I'm actually going to be uh, doing a little remote viewing with the audience so that the audience all gets a, get a chance to do a little remote viewing session. It's going to be very interactive, lots of fun. Um, also, if anyone needs to write and have any questions, they can write at uh, lori at intuitivespecialist.com. Yeah, that's my email address. And so I'd love to hear from anyone who has any questions. I'd love to come to Australia. We should set something up when we come to well, Australia. Yeah, I'd love to get you down here. I, I, I was thinking I'd love to invite you into the inner sanctum and, um, you know, because I have a little tr- online webinar tribe and I invite a guest teacher each month to come in and we do exercises, we do healing exercises, we do, but we haven't done remote viewing exercises. So maybe you'd like to come in and give us our little tribe, a, a little taste of what you do and um, they can get to know you. So that'd be fun. That would be fun. I get letters from Australia all the time of people asking, how can I take your course? Because the hour time difference is so so strong either i have to stay up all night to teach or they have to exactly. stay up all night to learn exactly so so i well, think the answer is well in the, the answer in the not too distant future we'll get you down under for sure that would be great i'd love yeah. to come to australia that'd be lots of fun <laughs> thank you thanks so much talk to you soon. thanks for joining us for another show accentuating the positive with Kara and swain 
Wasn't Laurie fascinating? I tell you what, we spoke for another an hour after I turned off the recording. We spoke about so many things. We spoke about interdimensional beings. We spoke about Mother Guy and her consciousness. Oh, we went all sorts of places, mediumship, the Arthur, the Finlay College. And we spoke about how we'd like to see this taught in institutions across the planet. So let us know if you've got any questions about consciousness, remote viewing, psychic ability, empathic, how to direct it, how to focus it, how to control it, how to be in control of it, not feel like you're being sort of bandied about by your intuitive abilities because, you know, the thing about consciousness is that we can direct it. We can direct our thoughts. We can change the way we feel. We have choice and control and ability for all of it and this is what deliberate creation teaches we can be deliberate in what we're creating both in our external circumstances but in our internal circumstances as well we can create anything we want beeping over there we are genius creators we just have to be reminded about how to direct the focus the stream the consciousness the flow how to turn it on, turn it off, different like a dimmer switch. We can be and do anything. We are amazing. So, yeah, if you have any questions, put your questions underneath and uh, go and check out Laurie's website. And uh, also buy our new book, Awakened by Death. Just come out on Amazon.com, on Kindle and in paperback. 12 amazing stories of people's spiritual awakening through the death experience, mine being one of them. And uh, obviously Cyrus Kirkpatrick being another one, we talk about how he is deliberate and he can astral travel deliberately. He can leave his body and go into his astral form deliberately. We can do anything. We just have to know how to do that, to be reminded how to do that. So Awakened by Death, personal stories or stories of transformation is out now. And again, I'm going to invite Laurie into the inner sanctum if you want to meet her. Um, yeah, and, and learn more about remote viewing and your abilities. So join us in the Inner Sanctum this year, monthly webinars for the New World Teachers and Lightworkers. Thanks again for watching. Love you all. See you later. Bye for now. Thanks so much for joining us for another enlightened conversation on Accentuate the Positive. If you would like spiritual guidance from my guides, Blissful Beings, go to karenswain.com for a reading or to listen to more enlightened thought leaders share their wisdom. Go to the listen page on karenswain.com and choose who you want to listen to. All the podcasts are also available on iTunes. Remember to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, you name it, we're there. Until next time, bye for now. If you feel like that's what you want to do.